Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 25. Folks who listen to this podcast, attend my webinars, and read my books and Sunday bulletin inserts know I'm a convert to the Catholic Church. Lately, I've been asked a lot about my conversion story. I try to avoid that topic because, well, frankly, a lot of people won't believe it. However, I know people like reading and hearing conversion stories. Mine's not very long, so I thought I'd tell you about it in this episode. You may end up telling me I'm nuts or a liar, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. We'll begin right after this. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. I came from a vehemently anti-Catholic background because my dad was a third-generation Freemason. I became a fourth-generation Mason myself, but my journey to Catholicism actually began years before I became a Mason. When I was a kid living in the St. Louis area, my dad and his best friend became Masons together. Dad's best friend was a Catholic, so he had no business becoming a Mason, but I didn't know that then. Yet it was he who started me on the journey to the church, sort of. I don't know how he justified being a Mason since the church forbids this because Masonry is an enemy of the church, but he was one nonetheless. For this discussion, let's just call my dad's friend Tom. Around 1969 or 70, Tom got some form of cancer. He died in the hospital. At the funeral, my father cried as he placed his hand on the casket. It was one of only two times I'd ever seen my father cry. A few years after Tom died, we moved to the small rural town in southeast Missouri where my parents grew up. I'd been used to city noise all the time, so the quiet at night made it hard for me to go to sleep. To compensate, I'd put on my headphones and listen to music when I went to bed so I could fall asleep. One spring night, I recalled opening the window to let the fresh air in when I went to bed. I got dressed for bed, turned out the light, put on my headphones, and turned in. Sometime during the night, I woke up because the light in my room came on. 
I opened my eyes and saw Tom standing by my bedroom door. I was neither afraid nor concerned. It seemed natural to me for some reason. I said, what do you want, Tom? Tom never said a word. I just got the impression he wanted me to follow him. I recall putting on my pants, but the next thing I remember is standing on the abandoned street in front of our house. I was facing west, and Tom was facing me about 20 to 30 feet away. He still never spoke a word, but motioned for me to follow him. Tom began to move down the street backward while facing me, but I don't recall seeing his feet move. He maintained the distance he was from me until we got to where we were going. About a block and a half away was a Catholic church, the only one in the county. Tom stopped in front of the church. When I'd almost caught up to him, Tom began to ascend the first of two tiers of stairs to the front door. He ascended backward, never turning away from me and never moving his feet. He still didn't speak, and he continued to motion me to follow him. When he reached the top of the first tier, I began climbing the stairs. As I began to climb, Tom began his ascent up the second tier. When I began the second tier, the doors of the church behind Tom began to open. The inside of the church was dark. Tom began to back into the darkness, motioning me to follow him as he entered the church. As he disappeared into the darkness, all I could see in that darkness was a red light. I didn't know then that the red light was the sanctuary lamp. All I knew was that I was following a dead man into an evil Catholic church. As that realization struck me, I turned and began to run back toward home. I don't recall getting home. The next thing I recall was realizing I was sitting on my bed, out of breath, and fully clothed. Needless to say, I had a little trouble going back to sleep. My father was in the city on business, so it was just my mom, my sister, and me. The next morning, Mom was at the sink with her back to me when I went into the kitchen. Without turning around to face me, she listened as I told her about the previous night's events, certain she'd tell me I just had a very vivid dream. Well, that's not what happened at all. When I'd finished telling her my story, Mom turned around to look at me and never said a word. She looked at me with astonishment and a look that said she knew something. To this day, nothing has ever been said about that. I suppose I couldn't shake the idea that the Tom event was sort of religious because a few months later I had a religious conversion. I'd been a guest of a friend at his Southern Baptist Church one Sunday night. The pastor was a good preacher, really good. He preached hellfire and brimstone without seeming fanatical and his arguments seemed reason to a teenage kid's mind. So that night I made my first move to become a Christian at the altar call. Before the summer was over, I decided I wanted to be a Southern Baptist minister. The pastor became my mentor, and I did everything he said for me to do. I began preaching, filling in for vacationing pastors, and holding weekend youth revivals at churches across southern Missouri and northern Arkansas. I was becoming popular by the end of my junior year in high school. In fact, I decided I wanted to become a full-time evangelist. The congregation at our church was incredibly supportive. They were so eager that they pretty much took over the planning of my future. They decided what college I'd attend, which seminary I'd get my theological training in, and what direction my ministerial career would take. One of the things my pastor told me to do was read and study the Bible. That was drilled in my head incessantly. 
So read and study I did, but that actually began to have an opposite effect toward the outcome everyone wanted. Reading and studying the Bible caused me to begin questioning some of the things I was being taught. For example, Southern Baptists believe that baptism isn't necessary for salvation, but rather is a mere ordinance. They believe we should be baptized in order to follow Jesus' example, but it's not strictly necessary. That seemed to contradict the plain meaning of the scriptures I was studying. Another thing I couldn't quite wrap my head around was John 19, verses 19 through 23. It seemed to me that Jesus was telling the apostles they had the power to forgive sins. Of course, Baptists thought that you just had to confess your sins to Jesus in prayer. I began taking my concerns to my pastor. I knew he could explain the apparent contradictions to me, but for whatever reason, he chose not to. He was on the Board of Regents of the Baptist College I wanted to attend, so since I was only months away from high school graduation by this point, rather than answer my questions, he told me to wait until I got to college because he'd lined up a good mentor for me. Since I trusted him fully, I decided to do as he told me and wait until the next fall when I began college. My pastor was true to his word. The mentor he'd arranged for me was the professor of evangelism in the ministerial program. He and I would meet twice a week in the evening to discuss various points of theology, scripture, and Christian apologetics. College life for this aspiring Baptist minister was busy. Apart from carrying a full 18-semester-hour load, the college sent me out on most weekends to fill pulpits, I had my weekend youth revivals when they didn't send me out, and I had the twice-weekly meetings with my mentor. When my mentor and I would meet, I'd ask him questions about the problems I was having with some of what I couldn't reconcile in Scripture. He'd answer my question as best he could, but the problem was that each answer caused another question. We'd go round and round until we ended up where we started, and nothing got resolved for me. It reached a point that my mentor would throw up his hands in frustration and say, some things in the Christian life simply aren't intended to be known. Baloney! I knew everything had to be knowable. In Mark's version of the Great Commission, Jesus said we had to believe and be baptized to be saved. How can you believe what you can't know? Besides, God's creation is very logical, which means he's a logical God. If he's logical in the world we can see, and we can know him from the seeable world, his truth must also be knowable. As time went on, I was beginning to lose faith in the Baptist doctrine. My conscience was conflicted. I wondered if I could continue preaching with the theological problems I was having. I finally made up my mind that my mentor would have to either answer my questions or I'd have to part company with the Southern Baptists. Apparently, my mentor sensed my resolve when we next met. We went through the same circular arguments, but this time it ended a little differently. When he threw up his hands in frustration this time, he said, Some things in the Christian life simply aren't intended to be known. Perhaps you need to reconsider your call to the ministry. I replied, perhaps you're right, doctor. I left his home completely lost. The only thing I knew was that I wanted to seek religious truth. However, nobody pays you to go about searching for truth. I had to find a way to earn an income. So I did what any intelligent young man would do. I joined the army. 
I'd been wanting to do something to make reparation for all the cowards who'd run off to Canada and burned their draft guards anyway. After completing my training and being assigned to my permanent duty station, I began looking into all the mainline Protestant churches. I'd attend one until I found a contradiction between their doctrine and the Bible, then I'd move on to the next one. After about a year and a half of doing this, I finally decided there was no divinely revealed truth, that God just left us on our own. I never checked out the Catholic Church because I'd been taught as a Baptist that Catholics weren't even Christian. This shows a deep flaw in my logic. Why would I no longer take the Southern Baptist Church's word on doctrine and still accept what they taught me about Catholics? I probably wouldn't have looked into the Catholic Church anyway because I'd been reared anti-Catholic. So the end result was I just became an agnostic. Frankly, I was completely lost and without direction. I didn't know what to do when I got out of the Army. I'd been trained as a military police, so I sort of thought maybe I should stay in law enforcement. While working on the federal level in law enforcement, I met a couple of bounty hunters who impressed me. They were doing the same thing I was doing and earning about three times as much money. So I started doing a little research. Since you're paid on the basis of the size of the bond, going where they had the highest bonds made the most sense to me. In those days, it was Florida because of all the drug smugglers. How'd that work out? Not too good. My partner and I had to go to Michigan once to pick up a guy. When we found him and cuffed him, his wife asked if she could pack his toothbrush and some underwear. To avoid boring you with the details as to why, we were having to drive him back to Florida instead of fly him, so we told her she could. While my partner stayed with our bounty, I went with her to keep an eye on what she was packing. She was a tiny, scared little girl, about 18 years old, so I wasn't paying real close attention to her. I should have been. She reached into the chest of drawers and started putting things in a paper bag. Suddenly, she came out of the drawer with a pistol and stuck it right in my face. Before I had time to react, she pulled the trigger. Thanks be to God, the revolver didn't fire. Without thinking, I punched her right in the face. She fell into the closet unconscious. I checked her to make sure I hadn't killed her, then I picked up the gun. I took the bullets out and saw the bullet that hadn't fired had a firing pin dimple on the firing cap. I decided to keep that bullet as a lucky charm. I was going to have it plated with gold and put on a chain to wear around my neck. Later that night, as we drove across Michigan farmland, I began to think about that bullet. I told my partner to pull over and let me relieve myself in a cornfield. After taking care of business, I took the bullet out of my pocket and put it in my gun since they were the same caliber. I pointed to the ground and pulled the trigger. The gun fired. I had to relieve myself again. From that night on, I couldn't go out on a job without thinking it must have been God who kept that bullet from going into my brain. It wasn't long after that I decided to quit getting shot at for a living. I'd begun living a pretty evil lifestyle. When you live in a pigsty, you get dirty right along with the little piggies. I don't know how cops can do what they do and remain good cops, especially detectives doing undercover work. Those who remain true to God and themselves have all my respect and admiration, because that's a terrible way to have to earn a living. When I left Florida, I had made up my mind to amend my life. 
I went back to Missouri and went into business. I was making six figures in Florida, but I was making more than I could have ever imagined in business for myself. Let me tell you from personal experience, there's nothing like money to take your eyes off God. The more money I made, the more money I wanted. With money came power and influence. The more that I gained, the more that I wanted. I finally got so greedy and so proud and arrogant that I crossed the wrong powerful men and ended up losing everything. I'll spare you the details, but in 30 days I went from a home in the town where my business was, a summer home on a lake about 40 miles away, a cabin in Colorado on a mountain, several cars and a handful of rental properties, to living in a 14 by 60 mobile home and driving a 13-year-old car. I lost all my friends, my own family wouldn't have anything to do with me because of the things I'd pulled. I was ruined. I couldn't get a job as a street sweeper in Missouri. Since I'd done my army training in Alabama, I decided to go back there to start over because those folks had been real good to me as a young soldier. That was a mistake. They liked me fine as long as I was a soldier, but as a civilian from the North, what they referred to as a damned Yankee, it seemed as if I was less than dirt on their shoes. I'd dive deep into depression. I'd hit bottom. But I was now malleable for God to be able to work with me. As I contemplated suicide, I met a man who was a walking Catholic encyclopedia. He was all about evangelizing, and he knew how to deal with a man like me. It seems God used this man to reach men like me who were at the end of their ropes. He somehow managed to engage and interest me. I sensed that he not only knew how to answer all my theological questions of the past, but more importantly at the moment, that he knew how to give me enough hope to save me from myself. Before moving on, let me make a comment about suicide. I've always maintained that suicide is a coward's way out. Yet I was considering suicide myself. I'd become the very sort of coward I'd always personally loathed. Having been there, I can understand how a man can descend to that depth. I can also say that the hardships I've faced since becoming a Catholic have been many more times difficult and devastating than those leading me to the point of suicide. But I've never considered suicide as a Catholic. In fact, I don't recall a single time in the last 30 years when I've been depressed. I'm excited about life. I actually look forward to getting out of bed every single morning. I'm in a wheelchair. I can only use one hand. I've lost my son. A thief stole all our life savings, and we live on a meager $1,900 a month. This is just what's happened in the last few years, but I still find life exciting. Lived Catholicism, the fullness of the faith without any watered-down milk toast peddled by most Catholics of authority, is the most exciting lived experience I can imagine. It's certainly the most exciting thing I've ever done. It's more exciting than hunting bounty, building a successful business, and traveling the world. I can't even imagine life any other way than as a Catholic. Anyway, back to the man who God sent to reach me. It was a good thing he was a walking Catholic encyclopedia because I'd suffered so badly trying to discover divinely revealed truth that nothing except absolute proof of the doctrines and dogmas of Catholicism would satisfy me. And give proof is exactly what he did. You've heard me say it before that every aspect of Catholicism can be proven. 
And that's the absolute truth. Protestant arguments almost always rely on false logic, subjective opinion, and emotion. It was so refreshing to have this man answer my questions with proof, but to have so many other things proven to me besides. Ask Protestants to prove God exists and what you hear are a lot of meaningless, high-sounding platitudes or an admission they can't prove his existence. What sort of sense does it make believing in a being you can't definitively prove exists? The Catholic Church can prove God exists, though. Ask Protestants to prove the Bible is inspired, and what you'll hear are a lot of passages of Scripture quoted and some subjective feelings about inspiration of Scripture. The Catholic Church can prove the Bible's inspired, though. There isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be proven. You heard me mention a few moments ago that Catholics speaking with authority peddle milk toast. I actually read a theologian recently who said that many things that the church teaches can't be proven. I'm living proof that he's wrong, because if everything couldn't be proven, I'd be a dead agnostic right now rather than a happy and thankful Catholic. I made the objective decision to become a Catholic when, after proving to me that Jesus was God, my friend proved to me that Jesus established the Catholic Church. Because I'd been reared to believe the Church was evil, that was a difficult decision to make. But it made sense to become a member of Jesus' Church or more greatly risk eternity in hell. I made the emotional decision to become a Catholic after my friend proved the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. In fact, it occurred to me that Christianity makes absolutely no sense without the Eucharist, with the exception of a few Protestant denominations who claim belief in the Eucharist. We're the only Christian religion who actually has it. That it can be proven the Catholic Church and no other was established by Jesus is real. The Church can prove the existence of purgatory, the Immaculate Conception, auricular confession, and everything else she teaches. Yes, everything the church teaches can be proven. My biggest motivation for telling you my conversion story was to get the point across that the Catholic Church can prove all its claims and that it's the only religion established by God himself. Most Catholics don't realize that, though. Many Catholics leave the church for a variety of reasons, most recently because of the sex abuse scandal. They leave and risk hell because they don't know that the Catholic Church is the one and only religion established by God himself. It's our obligation to tell them, to help them. But I'll bet you don't know the things you need to know about the faith yourself. We're taking a break for the summer right now, won't resume until August 25th, but I host free weekly webinars to teach the faith. Nobody ever gets bored because I teach the faith in a way that's for the average Joe Sixpack in the pew. One man, a deacon, had this to say about my webinars. This was the first full webinar I've sat through. I was amazed when you said it was time for questions. It just blew me away as I didn't think an hour had gone by already. So I'd have never guessed that an hour would have gone by. It was amazing. I was totally shocked. You have me sucked in. It was a great experience for me. Thank you for everything you do. A layperson had this to say. The gospel letters, though written thousands of years ago, are supposed to draw me closer to God. They, for the most part, don't. You do. Your words are more effective in reaching me. I know for the most part what the apostles have said. 
I'm looking for someone who can relate it to today. I have a greater chance of returning back to the flock with what you do. Finally, listen to what this lifelong Catholic layperson said. It's so comforting to gain knowledge of our Catholic faith in a different way and be able to have a better understanding of our rich heritage and what it means to know what we believe and why we believe it, and most of all, what Christ has given to us to lead us back to our Creator. Our Road to Salvation I certainly want to be a better informed Catholic and be confident in sharing it with others. So I'm asking you to begin joining us for these webinars, where you can ask me questions in real time. It's easy to begin getting invitations in your email. All you have to do is go to my show notes and click on the link for joe6packanswers.com. When you get to the site, on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a form. Enter your name and email. You'll begin to get a short lesson email course every three days in your inbox. When we begin the webinars again at the end of August, you'll begin to get invitations each week. Don't wait until later just because August is two months away. If you do that, you'll forget. That's just human nature. So go to my show notes right now and click the joe6packanswers.com link. Then we'll look forward to having you join us. And by the way, I realize most people like conversion stories, so I've also added a few books into my show notes directing you to conversion stories. Have a nice week, Six Packers. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. When Rhode Island Bishop Thomas Tobin tweeted a simple warning to his diocese cautioning against participation in LGBT pride events during so-called Pride Month, an international backlash quickly erupted. LGBT and progressive activists moved swiftly to squash the Catholic Shepherd's advisory to his flock to remain faithful to Catholic faith and morals, demonstrating the resolve of anti-Catholic forces to silence church teaching. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the blaze. A substitute teacher was fired for criticizing high school students' absolutely awful grammar. Fired? A teacher? For criticizing grammar? 
You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to LifeSite News. The Bishop of Springfield, Illinois, has barred pro-abortion legislators from receiving the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Bishop Thomas John Poprocki has ruled that state legislators who are working to pass Illinois' new abortion bill may not present themselves for communion in his diocese, and that priests are expressly forbidden from giving the Eucharist to both the Senate President and the Speaker of the House. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to LifeSite News. Last week saw the deletion of another Twitter account by someone who aroused the anger of the mob. Father Kevin Cusick deleted his account when, after tweeting about the importance of modest attire in the church, he was overwhelmed by angry responses. Actually, angry was not the right word. It was deranged. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. All but five of the 39 Little Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Redeemer, a conservative French religious order, have been relieved of their vows by the Vatican after refusing to submit to a group of Vatican-appointed commissioners led by a habitless liberal nun who wanted to impose modern orientations on the group. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. High up in the Rocky Mountains lived a small boy named Eddie and his mother. After Eddie had been severely punished one day, he ran to the edge of a cliff and, to show how angry he was with his mother, shouted, I hate you, I hate you. From across the valley came the echo, I hate you, I hate you. The echo surprised and frightened Eddie. He ran back to his mother and said, sobbing, Who is that bad man over there who shouted, I hate you, I hate you? Taking Eddie by the hand, she led him back to the edge of the cliff. Now, Eddie, she said, call out, I love you, I love you. Eddie did as he was told and heard clearly the pleasant echo that came repeating his words. Eddie was surprised and forgot all about hating his mother. She took him into her arms and said, Eddie, this echo is like a law in life. You get what you give. If you hate people, you'll be hated. If you love people, you'll be loved. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, is a wise saying from the Old Testament. If you're kind to people, you'll find that they'll be kind to you in return. If you hate them, you'll receive your punishment by being hated. St. John says that if anyone says he loves God and hates his neighbor, he's a liar. If you really want to love God, you have to love your neighbor. Hey, Six Packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes.
There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.